This is Stories for the Future, a podcast on a mission to get you excited and optimistic about a future full of fantastic opportunities. My name is Veslomoy Klavnes Parke, and I'm trying to figure out how we can all live good lives, have exciting jobs, and at the same time take good care of the planet and everyone living here. I want to unlock the superpowers of everyday people so that together we can co-create a future we're all excited about. So come join me on this journey. The future is up to us and I know that we can make it a good one. So before I go on to introduce you to this week's guest, I will tell you about my latest endeavor in my own company. The newest pillar in my company I call Repurpose You. It is a program for professionals who feel stuck in their current job, but can't really figure out where to go, what to do, or who to ask for help. They are looking for a way to have more impact, feel more happy about going to work on Monday morning, and a way that they can use the skills and experiences they have gained through their careers up until now. So I'm basically speaking about the 2016 version of myself here. So if you feel called to explore this and if it's something for you, just send me a message. You can find my contact details at bycause.co, that is B-Y-C-A-U-S-E dot co, on LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. I have a quite rare name, so you should find me easily. Sometimes you meet someone who can express the thoughts you have, but that you struggle to put into words. Merlin Bula is such a person for me. Since I first got to know him, read his writings and spoke with him on a Zoom call and for this podcast, I've had so many experiences like that. Like, aha, yes, that's exactly what I mean. Thank you so much for putting it into words. Merlin has a background in ecology and natural resource management with a strong focus on soil science and toxicology. These studies actually led him to an existential crisis and to ponder some significant life questions. He became fascinated with psychology and understanding why we think the way we do. And he combined that with his storytelling talent. Now, storytelling is the tool he uses to help regenerative change makers communicate about their complex missions. This conversation is probably one of the most philosophical discussions I've had on this podcast, and I really, really enjoyed it. While editing this episode and listening to it again, I discovered even more layers to our conversation. So I encourage you to listen closely and maybe even pause occasionally to let things sink in. I I think maybe you can find some gold here. So now let me introduce you to Merlin Bula. I have a feeling he's someone worth paying attention to in the future. I hope you enjoy it. When I was first introduced to Merlin Bula on LinkedIn, the first thing that kind of caught my attention was the sentence underneath his profile picture. It says, what if we get it right? And that was exact the same wording as a blog post and a keynote that I was working on a while back, uh, only that mine was in Norwegian. 
And I never got to finish that post, but the sentence and the question has uh, stuck with me. So with all the doom and gloom and the negativity and the negative predictions that we're surrounded with, my take is to look at what is actually possible and aim for that. And I think that Merlin will agree. So no wonder that we connected. And I, I definitely think we will talk more about this today. But first of all, welcome to Stories for the Future, Merlin. Thank you so much. You invited me to a talk about a topic that I'm quite passionate about. Like yes. It's very simple to my thinking and yeah. everything that we do. So yeah. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thank you. Great. So you actually have to tell us where you are, I think. Um, maybe the listeners can hear some birds in the background. So you're definitely not in Norway <laughs> at this moment because it's icy cold and snow outside. So where are you? Uh, in Nicaragua right now. And it's a, a beautiful tropical island yeah. uh, in the middle of a lake. I think it's the largest freshwater island in the world. It's made up of two volcanoes and the land bridge in between, and they make up an infinity sign between them. Oh. So it's it's quite the magical place, to be honest. Um, wow. It always draws me back into, into wonder. Yes, and I think we will have to come back to it, but you're definitely not from Nicaragua, you're from Germany. Uh, yeah, so you can share with us um, later why you ended up there. Uh, so I, I have this. I'm, I'm all the time trying to improve the podcast and kind of get to the point, and and maybe also have a few, a few, uh, not as many questions from for my guests. Uh, so I decided that for this time that I will only have three questions. The problem is that the, the first question is really, really huge, <laughs> and that is. What is it that you do and why? Yeah, yeah, it is you. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> uh, yes. So, my pretty much obsession is finding the root of things and at best to tweak this root in order to have everything else that ripples out from there turn out right. Um, and over time, thinking about psychology and thinking about actually story a lot um, made me go, well, there's, there's something about ideas and something about thoughts and something about our psyche that is absolutely primal and not just primal, but um, like the, it's a prime position. Um, it's, it's where everything starts. And we can kind of prove this in human life. Um, you can't craft a chair or a hammer without first thinking chair or hammer. So there's always, the idea always precedes reality in the human realm. And then there are philosophies or, or hypotheses, let's say, um, that this could extend beyond the human realm, that maybe the universe itself is made this way uh, the platonic ideal idea that anything that we see here in the material realm first was an idea an idea that the universe had in quotation marks or in, in how do you mm. whatever you call those um and i can't say conclusively i think no one can but it strikes me as a very probable thing uh there are, seem to be quite some pointers in Eastern philosophies that this could be so. Um, so 
if, if everything ripples out from the idea, then the big problem of our age might be that we are very unwise in handling ideas and mm -hmm. in, in handling the things that we believe in, in, in what we invite young developing minds to believe in. Do we define their origin story, their self-understanding as, oh yeah, you're, by the way, you're a biological accident drifting pointlessly in a meaningless universe on the fringes somewhere. You don't matter. There's not, no point to all of this. Um, and by the way, it's also all random and just random mutation. Um, which is being disproven by science right now, compellingly. Mm -hmm. Or do we have a better story, a better origin story that then also points to a more like coherent path that we can walk into the future? Um, because I think every origin story comes with some implications. Um, it tells it tells us things, and yeah. So I'm that was it long detour already um <laughs> no, that's fine the question. and yeah um i personally feel called to work on this to work on the psychology of this to work on the to tell better stories and to do so in a way that it can actually make a difference and not just sometimes i feel like yo yeah tell tell a story you storytelling can can be a little bit of a weak call to action because mm. people don't necessarily how, know how to yeah and it doesn't sound like maybe results producing or some something if you're placing in the corporate setting. Mm. Um, but I think the the true deep relevance of story is is quite remarkable, and I think very central to where we go. So you believe that if we believe that we have a clear purpose and a direction instead of just drifting here aimlessly, and we're a biological accident, as you said then it will feel a little bit pointless and we won't have that much, I don't know what word to use, urge or will or wish uh, to do something mm -hmm. so that you want to, uh, especially, I guess, the young people, um, to give them a sense of purpose. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's pretty bad to, to grow up in a world that seems to be teetering on the edge and... Mm seeing that those who you thought were adults don't seem to be handling it very well either. Mm. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty shitty story to live into. Um, yeah. And I mean, what, what I noticed, um, we, we have this, <laughs> this weird obsession with reducing things to their bits, to their little bits. That then don't tell so much of a story. That, that don't that, that rip things out of context. And the, the work of Nora Bateson is great in this regard. Like the, we, we rip things out of context and we never place it back in. And then essentially we're, we're confusing ourselves. And we're, we're we're winning quite quite a bit of knowledge through this, like serious knowledge that can help us move forward. But what I feel happened right now is that we don't exactly know what this forward is. And I think it's striking that we're, for example, in science, um, are thinking about how, for example, intergalactic civilizations could look like, like species that made it, that made it through this bottleneck and that then expanded again and that figured out how to handle themselves and handle matter and all of this and handle their psyche and tell their story. Um, and then 
we still have an internal story running for ourselves that essentially says yeah, we're done soon. Mm. We won't make it through this mm. bottleneck. And this comes with intense implications on do we defeat minds before they can take action or do we do we elevate them and say, hey, there, there's a path, obviously. Um, if we just if we just apply human creativity, we would already be there. So maybe let's do it now and see what happens. Mm. Um, so yeah, we're thinking about these next levels and theoreticize them, but that this could be our story if we just manage to, to get our shit together. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's my big kind of... So, so um, translating this to what you do from day to day, how do you use storytelling in, and what, what, is, what is it that you do practically? Um, and, and, and how did you end up doing that? <laughs> See. Uh, so I'm in marketing mm. by now, which I never really expected to be, but it feels very right and very resonant right now. I'm coming from like why I'm doing this is um, I'm coming from ecological and ecological field of study, uh, management of natural resources. Mm. So that put me in crisis um, that just said, all right, the world is teetering towards the edge. And um, so I had this crisis somewhere in 2013. Um, and yeah, that was, that was actually quite an intense crisis. So I had to go in this direction. Like there was no yeah. way to ignore it. There was, I think Daniel Schmachtenberger once said, um, anything that didn't ensure that life gets to keep on happening, didn't compute as a thing I could do. And I feel pretty much the same way. Mm. Um, so th then I got obsessed with psychology. And then those two merged into like a wish for a little bit of higher impact instead of publishing papers in academia mm. and then other paper publishers shuffled those papers, um, but rather turn this a little bit more playful, a little bit more actionable, creative, and but to do it on the right side of history, let's mm. say. Um, so now I'm using my obsession for psychology and I try to apply it very powerfully, um, as powerfully as I say can figure out how to uh, on the, like the regenerative side, which is growing, mm. but still, still so undervalued yeah. in terms of what the context actually is and what the stakes actually are. So yeah, that's, that's what I try to do. And since, since this is an attention game um, and I personally struggle a little bit with like, like, wow, attention and me, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, story is such an such a good way such an effortless way of of giving the the brain the signal hey pay attention mm. story is such an unintrusive way of saying hey there's something happening here you might want to pay attention mm. um so yeah there's it feels like everything is kind of flowing together um in this like the psychology story ecology part everything is kind of just merging beautifully right now do you manage to to do that? I I think you had that also uh, under your profile picture on LinkedIn that an introvert trying to be louder or something something in that yeah. direction. Do you man <laughs> do you manage to? I feel very much the same. By the way, I don't like mm -hmm. to kind of blow my trumpet. Uh, but uh, do you manage to do that through storytelling? I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm often I kind of forgetting it myself and I'm turning to just 
voicing thoughts instead of deliberately turning them into a story, which is just a just a I guess a skill level kind of thing at some point um, to to actually have all of this stuff readily available all the time and um, this is way more way more readily available than before but I wonder what happens in like the next decade mm. um, when all of the 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 things that I know and that we just not not about me um, that we know to be true that we actually manage to to massage the stuff into our nervous system and our brains and to actually apply it um, in pretty much everything we do the story is just I feel a simple a very sympathetic way or a very likable way of putting this like if i think there there's a call for introverts to be louder and i wonder what would happen if all of the all of the thoughtful beings that have been self-doubting and silent up until now actually find their voice and start yeah. speaking up i think that there's a huge opportunity for for the narrative to shift um so yeah how how do we do this how do we invite yeah. those those lucid souls to just actually come out and say there absolutely their insights that's uh, that's an interesting thought uh, and i uh, i don't i don't i just noticed something with the way that you're writing um on linkedin is mostly where i see see your writing um and that maybe doesn't have anything directly with storytelling uh to do but you're you're right you're a really good writer by the way so like the the words that you use and it's just uh, beautiful um but you write in a way that uh you as a reader really have to sit down and think <laughs> and this is something we will come back to like this black and white thinking and kind of different camps and meanings and opinions because you have to sit down and think what does it really mean now where is he which kind of which side is he on and you're because you <laughs> you, you just kind of uh pick on things that are uh, not the normal it's so easy today to just jump on the a pop popular opinion train you know yeah. uh, you kind of almost check beforehand if this opinion is okay to have you know what yeah. i mean uh i have i have caught myself doing that actually and that is i hate it but it's uh you're so afraid to <sighs> be in a, a bad light for the group that you're in so, so that I think is very interesting uh, with the way that you're writing, and I don't know if that is deliberate or. I mean, <laughs> so the, the work that I'm doing is a little bit has a, has a little bit of a self therapeutic element mm -hmm. because I, if I want to be understood, I need to learn this stuff. Um, I'm I'm coming from like scientific lingo, and then I was obsessed with uh, with psychology and philosophy, and there's all kinds of ways in which I could just say things and not be understood at all. So the the marketing journey and the getting clear instead of clever or getting clear at least before you're getting clever um, is is a big one for me. Mm. And yeah, there's I'm I'm still figuring this out as I go because I have absolutely difficulty to to shortening things. As soon as I start writing, I'm I'm absolutely in comments and in posts, I'm hitting the edge of yeah. the, the maximum character space and yeah. then i have to shorten um so there's there's a little bit of iteration work and curation work baked in so that's good at the same time i'm i'm actually so honored that people are actually sitting down to read this stuff because i'm if every if 
each and every one of my posts or almost of them, uh, almost all of them are this lengthy, um, that people are not just scrolling along and getting bored. And I'm sure some do, um, actually is, yeah, I'm, I'm flattered mm. a little bit. Um, <laughs> and yeah, then the, the, like the algorithms that were confronted with, they kind of select for extreme voices. They select for stuff that is like evokes emotion and rattles people and so nuanced nuanced takes i think are still suffering a little bit under the algorithmic paradigm yeah digital the digital space that we're under um so this yeah this this requires paying attention a little bit and mm. yeah and then you, you you spoke it out you spelled it out i have this problem i don't know if it's a problem I typically rattle both sides. I typically refuse to take a side and mm. I refuse to, to, to accept the frame of yeah. if you're not on our side, then you're against us. And this is just yes. such a foolish game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, since, since, since people are scanning for, or not all of them, many people see, still seem to be scanning. Are you on my side? And mm. if you're not, I either discard or attack or whatever mm. I do with your take. Um, yeah, so that's what's typically, typically happening, but I'm actually really happy that the, the feedback most often is rather gentle. Like, um, I'm, I wrote some posts where I really expected harsh backlash and I either met positive affirmation or silence and mm. Maybe I'm fooling myself, but I also decoded this as kind of a good sign because if you are confronting a, a silly thought on the other side, many people lash out. If there's silence, I kind of came to interpret this as, well, maybe there there was some thinking mm. um, where typically there's a lash out. And this is what I would love to produce, that we're not rigid in our positions in our little boxes and mm. fend off everything on the outside, but um, that we actually find the middle, mm, mm. a nuanced middle, not, not, not a silly, not a, not a silly middle, not a, not a, not a balance just for the sake of balance, but to actually have seen both sides and noticing yeah. that there's something that, like the the simplicity on the right side of complexity, I guess. Yeah. Um, yes, and this is um, this is a very interesting topic for me these days because as I'm kind of moving into the next uh, next season of my podcast where I will have um, even more, much more focus on the, the fact that I have been, <laughs> like when I look at the oil and gas industry and, and the other side, I would call it, I've been on mm -hmm. both sides. Uh, I have this history from oil and gas. So I want to focus on uh, the fact that this is not, it's not black and white. It's not like... Uh, I feel now that the environmental movement and the sustain sustainability gang <laughs> is looking at oil and gas as this kind of this gray, greedy mass of people. And I know that not to be the truth. It's, it's a bunch of great people with good intentions and um, like a nerdy interest in their subject matter. And they, 
they're not evil. I wasn't evil seven years ago. Um, I even cared for the environment. So I want to focus on that, that there's uh, nuances, as you say, and that also um, instead of just talking past each other and hitting hard um, with our very strong arguments, we, we don't get anywhere. So we need to find this space where we can find the things that we agree on um, and also empower all these people who are in this industry because they're bright people, <laughs> clever people with uh, good ideas and innovations and yeah. So how do you think, if I ask you as a storyteller and marketer, maybe, uh, how can we do this? Because as it is now, I see it as kind of a little bit hard, uh, complicated, because these people are rarely in the same rooms uh, or in the same forums or networks or conferences. So how do we do this, do you think? put back into this into the frame of story, uh, I would say, tell the full story. And one piece of the full story is what Nate Hagens seems to tell our energy blindness that we kind of now have. And I'm, I'm always turning cautious when there's a clear singular villain that we mm. all project our hate on. Mm -hmm. And that's the answer then. And I, there's always just so much opening for us being fooled. Um, so yeah, like the, the conversation that we're having right now is fueled by us having uh, having so many surplus calories. I'm not sure how, how he's calling it external energy, external calories. Um, I'm not sure like like work, work potential outside of let's say the human body, mm -hmm. um, and that we that we're now. I think that the number was roughly. So we're 8 billion people on this planet and the work we're doing through fossil fuels um, translated into human lives, translated into human labor effort, um, we would need to be um, 500 billion, if I remember correctly. Ooh. So that obviously produces problems yes. because we're losing measure. We're just losing full on measure on like we're also losing um, the the context, the full framework, the, the actually the gratitude um, that we could feel for this enabler, like this, he, he like Nate Hagens essentially says, we, we are a bunch of monkeys that then stumbled over, I don't know how he's phrasing it, but this, this vast pool of, of surplus energy that we can now play with. And we haven't right away figured out that this comes probably at a cost. Mm. So we are reliant on fossil fuels and we can't just pull the plug because we would then just completely uh, debilitate ourselves from actually meeting the challenges of our times. We would, we would mm. just actually deteriorate into chaos. So there has to be a certain gradual um, shift. Mm. And the thing, like especially when I'm thinking about regeneration, and I'm personally am coming from ecosystem health, soil health, biodiversity, wildlife, all of this, like the, what, what does it take for life to build buzzing systems and to build buzzing systems that, not, that are not just not fragile, but at best anti-fragile, that grow with every blow they're receiving, that have a huge buffer capacity, um, 
that like healthy soil can just take really a whole lot of chemicals and mm. pathogens and just transmute them and compost then is heating up and kills by itself by its nature kills all the all the pathogen uh, uh, like pathogenic like fungi mm. and bacteria and it's just it's just a self-perpetuating system that has like these checks and balances um, built in and we're overwhelming this no doubt but while we can certainly say that rampant emissions are not great are not the best thing that we could do um, it doesn't strike me as the biggest problem that we have especially like it, so emissions then produce pollution and also co2 and we kind of ignore the pollution part and only focus on the co2 but mm. co2 would be readily breathed away by plants that are just drawing out on their on their food on their on their on their oxygen mm. um so I don't think the the emission part um, would be a big problem if we had healthy soils and healthy forests. It would just be all right. So now we're now we're readmitting glyphosate to wreck soils. We're still logging old growth forests. So we're the, the, the vital systems of the earth were gnawing it, and we make everything about the the one chemical compound, the one molecule that would be readily breathed away by them. And this is connected to investment opportunities into, for example, direct air capture. This is connected to actually carbon tracking, um, that you will have your personal carbon allowance, and this will be connected to your digital ID and CBDC, uh, central bank digital currency. So there, there are a lot of doors open for ulterior, mo ulterior motives to seep in mm. and make things about carbon where things are not about carbon. Um, so I think in terms of then telling the full story, would be to become aware that we're actually dependent on this stuff right now and we have to smooth out the transition and that we kind of have to turn back our attention to what actually keeps the system alive and, mm. and what actually provides the foundation and i personally right now as it stands don't trust the let's say highest up level of consciousness that it actually grasps what's required that it actually yeah. understands nature that it can feel into where we are um yeah i i see more i see more of the pattern never let a good crisis go to waste hmm. and if i personally am, am looking for the full story the full story says phase out fossil fuels yes but don't do it hectically become aware how much our responsiveness to our crises is is reliant on fossil fuels be really aware to what degree you're being served a, a singular villain only to, to fade or to, to, to ignore the rest. Um, because one thing, it's speculative, but one thing that would also play into certain powerful cards would be if everything, like first we have the investment opportunity of, a, of an electric grid, um, renewable energy, hmm. and then we would have a centralized electric grid. So whoever is not following along nicely um, would, would be faced with less less freedom to move mm -hmm. because fossil fuels are not just something that we need to phase out but also a, a certain element of freedom you can store it yeah. um you're not reliant on some centralized provider to give it to you so i see yeah in, under the premise of um of responding to the crisis we are in i see a, like the same psychopathic players that we sometimes come to criticize are playing now this game they're aligning their 
agenda with what the cultural mind thinks about. Mm. Um, so I see a lot, a lot of opening for us to not get the full story and to just get a little piece work and to have this all backed by expertise um, and to ultimately be quite deeply fooled because these systems haven't been really understood by most, but they are trumpeting their answers. Yeah. Uh, and their answers are not without selfish motivators. I see a lot happening in this. In this, So there's a lot more awareness now around soil and um, regenerative practices and all that. But I, as you say, I feel it's um, still very, very small um, compared to what it needs to be. I mean, I think the internet is a big opportunity that like, sure, we are getting distracted. Sure, we're getting our um, dopaminergic system derailed when we just put seven year olds in front of in front of iPads and allow for their brain to, to, to mold and shape in front of screens instead of in front of nature. Mm. Um, there, there's, there's a danger there. At the same time, our, pro, uh, our information processing can go through the roof. And there's a liberation of knowledge. Um, if, if the internet is not censored into bits, um, th there certainly is, an, is a liberation of knowledge. There are mm. many like economic actors that are incentivized to share knowledge for free because there's a business behind. Um, but a lot is being shared for free so, and a lot of knowledge is circulating. Like my own learning curve since I, I mean, I was, I was registered with LinkedIn for a little while longer, but I kind of joined about a year ago. Mm. Um, and my own learning curve through this is really good. Like yeah. I, I didn't expect for social media when it's purpose driven and embedded like in the right topics to be so beneficial to, to perspective and, and accelerated learning and stuff like this. So I don't know, there, there's an element of trust and process for me. Um, and then, and then there's a difficulty that you that we kind of are starting to question the authority of the established trusted sources. Yes. Like both reputable sources are being questioned rightfully and science is being questioned, uh, questioned also rightfully. Um, but before we find direction again, we're kind of in this floating space um, called to develop our intuition about what's right, maybe getting a sense for what rings true and what kind of feels right. I don't know. I think there's, there's this element coming in um but i'm without answers um yeah these are just thoughts and i'm actually very curious on what you see um especially in your in your shift from fossil fuels to now uh probably not, not the other side fully but really trying to make sense of the good and bad of of societal functioning and environmental action mm. Um, mm. yes okay. so yeah i am I'm a little bit without answers myself, but I'm uh, at least I think there there's things happening now, and uh, uh, I think there are more and more people like me who can serve as kind of uh, bridge builders. So knowing, and this isn't only in this industry, oil and gas, and 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 uh, more environmental movement. It's also so many other areas you know it could be um, 
going from eating meat to becoming vegan or um, being a couch potato to start running. It's kind of this, you have an identity and then you shift and you look back and, oh, was that me? <laughs> you know? So knowing knowing two sides can serve as a very good, um, you have empathy uh, for for both sides. Uh, and I, I, I actually try to not call it sides because that is kind of not, it's not the, the, the way that I want to think about it. But I think, I believe that uh, we just, we need to get um, these uh, people together. <laughs> and, and there's more and more um, networks and communities that I discover can serve as these spaces so I'm very excited for next, like after qu- Christmas and the next season of this podcast, because I will definitely make an effort to um, get those voices heard. Um, and this, so Stories for the Future has become this um, very, I think most of my listeners are not from oil and gas, <laughs> I have to say. So, but I I, I want to merge um merge my networks in a way um and if more people can do that um that would be really helpful i think uh yeah i i just i i thought about story a little bit before um i was i was joining this and one thing that i that came up was like there, there's a whole lot of experience in like the oil and gas industry on corporate structures on mm. actually like the, the thing that I would love to see merging would be like the performance getting things done kind of energy mm. it's it's a really good energy to have it's it's something that really builds worlds yeah it just needs to build the right worlds yes. and I would love to see this kind of energy and this kind of consciousness merge fully merge integrated with like a regenerative vision because we yeah. can't have the regenerative vision just on one side and then it's teethless mm. and just are sitting around in circles and drumming and others use their performant energy to to fuck up the world instead of mm. um, healing it so i would love to see a conversation and not yet the, the vilifying um of either side but really a merger of course can be hard um some of the higher ups um i recently learned it's not just a, an assumption anymore at least anecdotal evidence is there for a self-understanding as an apex predator so there is a type of consciousness that has built its whole legacy on competition and being on the top. And the, mm-hmm. the, the worse of the system around them is, the, the more confirmation they're getting for their own superiority. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to snap out of this. But I think there's, there's quite a number of receptive people. Um, like you're saying, it's, not, it's just not all evil people. No. It's not all this. And there's a whole lot of experience there and yes and before before i joined um i wrote down experience equals story um the the reason why we cherish in like the job market or wherever why we value experience so highly seems to be that that this is story and because it's it's your own story and because it is your own story it sticks to your mind like glue it's it's Mm. very hard to forget what you have truly lived through um and so this was actually a new facet for me in terms of thinking about story that even where we don't label things as story, the, the things that stick to our mind the best are connected to some kind of embodied 
contextualized sequence of events that could be dubbed story if if we did so mm. um so that i don't know it, it's it's easy to to get biased if you're working in this field i guess um to to overestimate the power of this tool let's say but it really strikes me as as something like trends can be made of two different fabrics one is just a trend social media buzz viral stuff and then it fades out and it's pointless or it's an idea whose time has come or an idea whose time has come to actually return to us and story mm. seems to be the latter story seems to be the our stone age psychological heritage that now comes around to actually help us facilitate a new story of the future to, yeah. to really have some existential relevance to what we do here um so Yes, I see a lot of good there. There's, and and I I'm thinking about uh, so this is actually so the name stories for the future says this because um, I think you wrote uh, there was something you wrote about it was so beautiful it was about that it was a chair do you remember what I mean it was a you described a, a chair the old armchair. Yeah, yeah, it was that. And I can't remember if you if that was set out in the future, was it? Yeah, the, the idea was, um, and I actually want to do this more often. I don't know. There's, there's just came up once, and um, I feel like there's, there's some power there to tell a story looking back on the bottleneck that is ahead of us right now. Yes. In terms of how we actually made it, because this, yeah. this, this possibility exists somewhere, and we just right now see all fog in front of us. We have no idea where this is heading, but to just have this, have this possibility mapped that in the future, some old lovely granny could talk to her grandchildren and tell the story of her lifetime, how we made a regenerative and circular shift mm -hmm. and that they are just, they're just enjoying it so much because it's their own story. It's their grandma's story. It's a, it's a compelling story. It's a, it's a shift that a species has to go through only once probably in its whole developmental tra trajectory i don't think we have to figure out how to circular go circular twice i don't think we yeah. have to we have to have this much of an alienating detour into habitat destruction multiple times I i'm i'm not sure maybe no one no way to say for sure but mm -hmm. i think this is a big one this is not just a time like any other but a quite significant shift if we make it and i personally am not here to disbelieve the shift to, to just say, all right, we have this mountain of creative potential, but let's just go die. Let's just extinct ourselves. Um, mm. Why not? Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm fond of this this looking back. And of course, we made it through the bottleneck. Of course, it was painful yes. and it was difficult, and we had some loss. But re nature regenerates quickly. We need just a portion of the resources we put into destruction of nature to regenerate it. Like it's. The, the resources that are kept behind the dam of, of this affluent wealth in the Western world take 10% of this. And I'm pretty sure we could regenerate the planet mm. um, significantly. Mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm fond of the right story to, to spur yes. on. Yes. And I think it's so, so, so important. And it got me thinking about, um, so you have the stories. I'm very, very um, enthusiastic about the future. So I'm, I, I realize I've been a futurist uh, my whole life. I always loved at school to write these stories about like flying cars and things like that. So I'm, I'm very attracted to that. And at the moment, I'm taking this course, this 
brilliant course in futures thinking. And uh, it says a lot about, or it talks a lot about um, like how we need to uh, look at our preferred futures. So we need to have an image of where we want to go in order to get there. And I think storytelling, like the story you wrote about that armchair, that is so, it's really, really powerful because you can look at that and then you can kind of backcast in a way. (laughs) Uh, Okay, what do we need to do in order to get there? Um, And of course we will get there. And it's also the the thing you said there, it's something I wrote, I think, in the information uh, about this podcast that if we go uh, 20 years out in the future and look back, I think that we will look back at this time as a very, very um, hard, but also very exciting time to, to be alive. So we shouldn't just just brush it off. As you say, so for our kids and for young people to know that, okay, this is a really important time to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sometimes hesitant to talk about certain stuff because uh, I, I assume it's perceived as like too, let's, let's call it spiritual. Um, but I think some things are just self-evident if we truly think about them and they're just labeled away as some woo-woo, whatever. Mm. Um, and one thing that really and take it with a grain of salt because i'm not fully confident that i'm interpreting this exact exactly right but if it's true that we can only create things that we hold a clear vision of in our mind which is essentially the story of like manifesting and whatever Mm. but i think that there's more nuance you can't just sit around and meditate and then things happen um i think the the big like ballot that we have to throw into the voting box is action and Mm. action personally erases my doubt and doubt seems to be the biggest thing that stands between us and creating the future that we want so obviously i don't know if that's needs if that needs to be said the way forward is through action Mm. first knowing what to do and then to actually do it surprise um and i think somewhere in the beginning um i pointed to the all right, we can we can deduct in the human realm that we can have to first think chair and think hammer before we before we can do chair and do hammer, um, and that nature might function in a similar way. And that Plato pointed to this, and his uh, Platonic ideals are this. There are these archetypes, these these ways in which the universe thinks, and then the transla- translation of this from some immaterial realm, metaphysical realm, into matter and then of course things go wrong and there's illness and disease and you can break a bone mm. and you can die um and what really struck me like i, I was once like full-blown atheist actually sci- scientist um reductionist and mm. then i kind of had a change of mind facilitated by some experiences um and i was then turning frustrated with science in my sense of reality, not getting it, not catching up with what's actually happening. Um, very healthy for me was then to let go and say, all right, it's it's kind of then time to be a little bit ahead of science. It, it's fine that if, if there are people with an ego, they're researching things, they have a legacy to defend, they, they are obviously sticking with what they researched for their whole life. And then probably that's the reason why the quote from somewhere is, um, science progresses one funeral at a time. You know, 
the mm-hmm. components of the old theories have to die off. Mm-hmm. And what was really exciting, um, what I created this frame for recently, is we have now supposedly found a new law of nature. Uh, it's called the law of increasing functional information. And it essentially says that while we assume in terms of laws of thermodynamics for, for the universe to just fizzle out endlessly, like the, just the chaos in, increases all the time and there's no way to turn it back. There's no, no mechanism that would create order instead of disorder. I kind of always felt I see more order than disorder. This doesn't seem all mm. random. I, I don't see the amount of dysfunctional kind of living beings that would need no. to be there if mutation was truly random. And then like long foreshadowed already was like this conundrum, the statistical or uh, stochastic conundrum of protein folding, that proteins have like endless millions of ways to fold in a certain way. And just a, a fraction of those are functional. And somehow nature seems to find the folding uh, kind of configuration that's mm. functional. Yeah. So it doesn't seem to be random. It seems to have a sense of direction. Mm. And to, to now pair this, we need to know where we need to go in order to create it. The, the, the implicit, at least, claim of this new law, by now determined as a new law of nature, is that even nature has an idea on where to go next. Even nature has a way of kind of exploring and probably by some kind of crazy superposition quantum states testing in some realm out what would actually work before then matter follows. Um, Even nature has this capacity of figuring out what's a possible path before it starts to walk. So, and and then we we come out with functional, uh, not human beings, but beings, animals, plants, everything. Mm. Um, And another element of of this law was that this even happens in uh, inorganic matter. So, that evolution, that, that there's obviously no cut between organic and inorganic life and dead matter. That if there's a planet full of rock and then at some point life emerges, is there a hard line between the rock that's dead and the life that's alive? What, what, is, mm. what, is the, what does the transition actually look like? So yes. maybe everything we face is full of life. Maybe everything is different levels of conscious on some level, like it's, it's hard to attribute consciousness to a rock. I get it. Mm. But maybe there's something there that we can't see just because it doesn't express itself. Mm. Um, so there, I just see endless ways in which things could be hidden from us and where genuinely positive mind opening game changers could be like hidden in plain sight. And if we just started to look, yeah. If we just started to pay attention to this, we would find them and we would probably find a little bit more confidence in where we could go led by intention than we have right now as a collective. Yes. Um, this is very interesting. I can listen to you all day. <laughs> it's very, it's very, I'm talking too much. no, it's, it's a very, not so often I, I, I'm having this very philosophical conversation, so it's very nice. <laughs> uh, but we have to we have to land. Um, yeah. What what is I I just need to ask why are you why did you end up in Nicaragua from uh, Germany? The, 
the oppressive wet and gray German winter <laughs> that was so fun. Okay. Um, that yeah, that just drained my system of um, of serotonin probably and vitamin D at yeah. some point. Yeah. And I just saw the opportunity. Like if if I want to work for nature, essentially, if I want to be a, an employee of nature, um, I shouldn't be tucked away yeah. in a white little box lit by neon lights in front of my screen, hacking away, but rather seek a situation in which I can get in touch with what I want to communicate for. So it, it kind of felt like it felt like a compelling adventure, which it is and was. Um, and also like a, essentially an essential or an, an existential voting, an existential vote for, mm. all right, let's take a risk. Let's take a gamble. Let's get closer to what you actually want to have around you um, and see what comes of it. Like I'm, the, the, the whole world is, is kind of yeah suffering from disconnection but many people are in like situations where they can't move they have family they have obligations mm. they don't know how to uproot mm. i was kind of able to uproot so let's do it I don't yeah know. I, if, if we're if we're hurtling towards a cliff anyway like if that's the story that i'm supposedly living here that we go extinct then I think I can take a little bit of a travel. Um, and see yes. Well, I think this is the frame. Okay. When I look at your background, I, I totally understand why you are where you are. <laughs> so no problem. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's going with uh, challenges like a lot of fungus right now in the oh, yeah. season, but, but still, it's okay. there, there's more positives. Yeah, very nice. So where can uh, people uh, follow what you're doing and your work and your writing? Is LinkedIn the best place? Probably, yes. yes. I think that's the, that's the most like public-facing part. Um, then obviously, like the website, I'm, I'm publishing on my own website, and then also like uh, syndicating the content, like just saying, "All right, this is re republished content mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, on Medium." Like I'm trying to spread a little bit. Um, yeah, but LinkedIn is certainly the the let's say gateway. Um, yes, that's most accessible. Okay. And uh, people are free to contact you, I guess, if of they're course. interested in please. what you're talking Especially about. Especially for sharing a mission. Um, yes. Any day, please. Yes. Great. It was, uh, this was a lovely conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, you so, thank you so much. That's it. I think for me, the essence here is to understand how powerful storytelling is and how imagining the future before it's here will help us create the future that we want. I hope you found this as inspiring as I did. And if Merlin's message resonated with you, don't hesitate to get in touch with him. And as always, I will share the relevant links in the show notes. This was actually the last episode of this season. Now I will take a break over Christmas while I also prepare the next season. The exact content and framing is still on the drawing table, but it will have to do with seeing the nuances, avoiding black and white thinking, and also including more voices in the conversation. Please subscribe if you haven't already so that you will get an update when the next episode appears in your podcast player. If you celebrate Christmas, have a good one. And for everyone, I hope you enjoy some days off. And I will see you in 2024.